The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Sean Mobley. Today is a very, very different type of podcast episode. We are getting towards the end of the year, and it has been quite a year. So today we're going to take a break and play a game, a specific game called Before There Were Stars. This is a storytelling game published by Smirk and Dagger, where you make up a myth based on constellations hearkening back to the orators around the campfire of old. To do this, I was joined by some of the most fantastic storytellers and educators from around the globe working out there in the science world. Uh, the Museum of Flight's own Natalie Copeland, who listeners might remember from a previous episode where she talked about adapting astronomy and science into stage musicals. Ricky Coates also joined from Math Theater, another science-based performance group. Cassandra Y joined us from England, where she works as a science storyteller at the head of the program called We Share the Same Moon. Kyle Doan of Digitalis, a digital planetarium company, also hopped on to create a story with us. And all of this was guided by Kurt Covert, the owner of Smirk and Dagger, the publisher of Before That Were Stars. As you might imagine, with all these people coming from different continents joining, this was one of the most technically challenging episodes for me to record and edit. And as a result, I highly recommend listening to this episode with headphones on to make sure that you can hear everybody clearly. But I don't think that the mixture of audio qualities detracts from the experience as these folks really know how to hook you in with a good story. I've edited out a lot of the game stuff, so while in the game we're doing things like rolling dice and flipping cards and things like that, that's all been taken out to streamline the audio. Uh, but it's still a long episode. We are playing a game after all. Uh, today's episode will be part one of the game, where we go over the rules and then create the first half of our stories. And then the next episode, which will air in a couple of weeks, will be the conclusions of our stories. And all throughout this, we'll also be taking time to chat with the guests to learn a little bit about the amazing work they do, helping kids feel less intimidated by science, using storytelling as a way to introduce complex concepts the way humans have been doing for thousands of years. After all, people understood that gravity existed before they had a name for it, and long before Isaac Newton. So join us as we learn to play and begin constructing our mythologies based on observing the stars. We are here with some amazing educators and storytellers from around the world. Uh, listeners, you probably know me well enough, so I'm going to turn it over to our amazing guests to introduce themselves. And let's start with somebody from right here at the museum, Natalie Copeland. Hi! Um, I've actually been on the Flight Deck podcast before, so you might have already heard a little bit about me. Um, I'm a museum educator here. I sometimes work with Living History, sometimes with our outreach program, often with our planetarium. And uh, I also do a lot of work in the Seattle theater community, specifically producing science theater. Yeah, welcome back, Natalie. Thanks. Kyle, take a moment to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm uh, Kyle, and uh, I kind of walked backwards into this into this type of career. I was a commercial crab fisherman, and then I had a dream where my son was asking me all sorts of questions about life, the universe, and everything. And uh, I quit my other jobs and volunteered at the zoo, and uh, uh, kind of learned the things that I wanted to learn so that I could teach him. Well, welcome. Let's go over to Ricky. 
Hi, my name's Ricky. Uh, like Natalie, I am also a science theater artist. My wife and I have a company called Math Theater, and we tour around the world putting on uh, mostly musicals about scientists and their science. Uh, but in this time of COVID, we're doing other things like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, Ricky. And from across the pond, we have Cassandra. Welcome. Um, my name is Cassandra. I am a storyteller. I've been working as a storyteller for about 30 years around the world. Um, I, I'm very lucky to, to make a living out of something that I love and that I was brought up to do as part of my family heritage. And I work with stories about the sky, um, having been mentored by an American Indian storyteller named Lynn Maroney. And I'm very grateful to be able to carry on her work, her amazing work. Well, welcome, Cassandra. And finally joining us at the table today, we have Kurt. Hi, I'm Kurt Covert. Uh, I'm the uh, owner of Smirk and Dagger Games, which is a board game company um, where I both in invent uh, a lot of the games as well as uh, publish uh, and develop other inventors' games, uh, including this one, Before There Were Stars. Yeah. And Kurt, why don't you start us off with the rules? And listeners, you can listen along to the rules. It's it's a pretty straightforward game, actually. Uh, you'll pick it up as we go along. You bet. So uh, Before There Were Stars is a storytelling game. And players are going to take turns telling the mythic story of their people. Imagine yourself as an ancient lore giver sitting around the fire, looking up into the, the night sky, um, being inspired by the constellations, and... It's all about telling creation myths. Each player's story is really uniquely their own. Um, it's told over the course of four rounds or chapters. And um, on the table in front of us, uh, which you can't see, but I'll describe for you, we've got a deck of constellation cards. And on those constellation cards uh, will be a, a keyword and a concept along with an image of a constellation. Um, for example, uh, the owl. Uh, or the valley. And there's an arrangement of uh, star-shaped dice pips on that card, which identifies, you know, what dice roll you'll need in order to take that card into your story. Uh, there are also 12 star-pipped dice, um, and you'll roll all 12, and then that kind of forms your night sky. Um, as you scan the heavens then, looking for what star pips are out there, um, that's how you're going to select what keywords you can bring into your story. So if the owl has um, a three, a two, and a one, and you have that in your dice arrangement, you can use the owl in your story. Um, if you don't see uh, a card either that you, you want for your story, given the dice that you rolled, or maybe you just feel like, you know what, I, I just kind of want to take a chance. You can always draw the top card of the deck and... Um, and whatever element that is, that's what's going to be in your story. Um, each chapter, you'll be drawing two new cards that will um, kind of give you the inspiration and, and direction for where your story might go. But it's kind of like an improv exercise. Um, you'll be prompted by these cards, and the chapter has a, a prompt. For example, in chapter one, the prompt is, In the Beginning. And with the two cards that you that you drew, let's say it's Owl and Valley, you'll end up telling a story about how the world, how the universe was created, utilizing the concepts of Owl and Valley in any way that you choose or any inter interpretation that you choose. For example, uh, there might be the word chest. Now, the drawing of the chest looks like a treasure chest. But if you wanted to reinterpret that into like the torso of a person, you could absolutely do that. Um, uh, you can also start your story, you know, in the beginning or any variation, you know, when the world was young. Um, so it's really free form. And everything here is um, really just providing a guide uh, to give you some guardrails just to kind of move your story along. Um, so we're all going to go around the table. We're going to select our two concepts, our two constellations, um, and then um, each player will have roughly a minute 
It doesn't have to be a full minute um, and there's no hard stop, but just, you know, about 60 seconds for your story um, because your story will then continue into chapter two. Um, so we're going to start within the beginning. Chapter two is going to talk about the dawn of our civilization. How did our people arrive here? How do we connect to the creation? Then chapter three, a great hero will emerge for our people and we'll tell that that, that epic tale. And then finally, chapter four is going to be end of days. How in our in our culture, is this all going to wind up? Is it going to be doom and gloom? Is it going to be hopeful? Um, you control all those things, including the tonality of your story. Some people might decide, oh, I, I'm going to play this really scientific. Or someone say, you know, I, I want to go almost classical uh, with like kind of a, a Greek feel. Or someone might say, you know, I just want to do this for fun. I'm, I, mine's going to have comedy in it. Um, it really doesn't matter. It's your story to, to own and control. And um and then after each chapter, we'll just take a moment to kind of highlight things that we really enjoyed coming out of uh, certain people's stories. So um, with that said, we're kind of ready to begin. So um, as the host of the game, I'm going to go ahead and start. So I'm going to take the Comet card, and I'm going to put that in front of me as the first of my keywords. Now I'm going to refill that spot, and the next player around the table will actually have their opportunity to go. So the next card is the fox. Let me see here. Well, the, I, I think the sword is a pretty obvious one. I've got a five and a three right here. So, so Kyle took the sword. Kyle took the sword. All right, so this is Ricky and I'm going to take the eye. I will choose the mother. I'm going for the fox. I've got the fox. Okay, great. You know, and I'm going to go with ocean. Mm. Ran my eye on that. <laughs> so as you're starting to think about your next card, kind of start thinking about what's going to occur to you as, as we start telling an in-the-beginning creation uh, tale. Um, what is... What's going to be a good one for you? Um... So I've got the comet. What can I pair with the comet? You know, I'm I'm going to go a little crazy. I'm going to draw a mystery card from the top of the deck. Mm -hmm. Take my chances. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and what I have is I have the hurricane. So I have a hurricane and, and a comet. All right. Apocalyptic much. So red. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a turbulent world. Yeah, it's 2020. <laughs> In the beginning, it was 2020. <laughs> I am curious how, how all, all this stuff that's happening now, uh, this is Kyle, and I'm uh, rolling, uh, how all the stuff that's happening in our real world will influence our stories here. Uh, let's see here. So, well... I, I, this feels almost biblical since I have the sword and I'm going to go for the book. I have a four and a two here. <laughs> All right. See how those pair. Our next card out is the ghost. Ooh. All right. Spooky. Oh, uh, I'll take the liar. The liar it is. Thank you. Ricky, since you just went while Natalie is making her decision on which card to pick, why don't you tell us a little bit about the work you do using theater to inspire people to get interested in math and science? Oh, I'd love to. So like I said, my partner, Sadie, and I, we have a company called Math Theater. Uh, it's actually started in 2006 when her friend who was teaching high school started writing parody songs for every concept in Calc 1 uh, until he had basically a musical version of Calculus. So Sadie was like, we need to make this into a musical. So the two of them uh, got together and they made Calculus the musical and started touring that uh, all over the States and into Canada as well. Um, and that took on a life of its own. I met Sadie in 2015, and at that point, I was working on a show about Nikola Tesla and talking about how I would love to be touring my my work. And so we basically, full, like 
the two of us uh, folded together our, our ideas and we kind of rebooted math theater. Um, and since then we've, we've made new, sh- new musicals. So we, we, we made a musical about Marie Curie called Curie Me Away. It's our <laughs> chemistry themed musical. Thank you. And then sadly we were just about to debut our new musical when the pandemic hit. Literally we had to close opening night, but it was going to be a planetarium musical. So we partnered with Fisk Planetarium. They built an entire full dome experience to our our musical called Voyagers, which is uh, the musical grand tour of the solar system through the perspective of the Voyager mission. So we we take everyone through the Voyager project into the outer planets, uh, as well as explore what's on the golden record. It's an absolutely gorgeous show that features original music that has stylings from all the era, all the eras of the Voyager mission. So it starts from like 1977 disco music and then goes all the way through the power ballads of the 80s. Um, so that's fun. Uh, but now that we are basically stuck at home, we've kind of pivoted what we do. So Sadie and I, we we basically, we, so we dress up as our characters, as our historical scientists. And we now zoom into classrooms and talk about the science that we do. So we have all of these scientists that visit. We call that program History Science Theater Live. Uh, We are also starting our own podcast called History Science Theater, which is a musical radio drama about science and scientists. And our first season will be about Rosalind Franklin uh, we're, we've also, we've got a lot of programs. Uh, I, I just made a, uh, a WhatsApp adventure. So you get a text from Schrodinger's cat, help, I'm stuck in this box. <laughs> and, uh, th- like through clues, through multimedia and different text messages, uh, your team texts to the cat to help her, help Carmen, the chemistry cat, uh, deactivate the, you know, the, the mechanism that's going to kill her and escape the box. Uh, and then hopefully later we'll be starting a web comedy series as well. So we have been super, super busy. I don't know what everyone's been talking about all this free time. Cause we have not had any. <laughs> Tell me about it. Okay. Uh, Natalie, it is your turn to pick a second card. Okay. Hmm. Ooh, they're all so good. I can see so many directions for these. <laughs> um, I will do the famine. Okay, great. That goes over to you. All right, Cassandra, new card coming out is the moon. <gasps> oh, lucky. I've chosen the moon, of course. Oh, perfect. (laughs) How could you not? (laughs) Okay, the next constellation coming out is the child. Oh, Baby Yoda. Okay. (laughs) All right. Sean's turn. I'm going to tempt fate. Ooh, I like it. Want it? I don't have the dice for so I'm going to draw. Uh, F to flip? <laughs> I got fire. That's Ooh. really neat. I so like I that. have the ocean and fire. <laughs> okay, so that uh, is the first phase of the game, the, star, the, the stargazing phase. Um, hopefully, as you've been drawing your cards, you've been starting to think a little bit about what kind of shape your story will take. And again, it'll it'll start with me as the as the the host, and then later on we'll we'll move around the table. But um, I now will take a look at my two cards and get inspired for chapter one in the beginning. And you have a you have a few moments to kind of collect your thoughts. In the beginning, there was nothing but the torrent of a maelstrom. A mighty hurricane that clouded and obscured all from view. There was just the driving rain and the wind and nothing more. When, one day, a bright shining comet 
burst through the clouds, sailed across the sky, and with its bright energy, turned much of the rain into mist, and the clouds parted, and the comet took its place as the sun above our world. And with the clouds finally parted and the sun coming down, life could begin. And that's my story, which I will continue next round. But for now, we're going to go over to Red, and they'll tell their own story. Nice. <laughs> oh, this is Kyle. In the beginning, it was all written. There, there were no variants. It always progressed the way that it was intended. Everyone's destiny was in the book, and there, there was no way to change it. The book was solid and immutable. But then, coming out of nowhere, nobody knew where this arrived, the sword, the spinning celestial sword, sliced into the book over and over and over, scattering bits of the story throughout the cosmos. We still have the same story or the parts, but they're not aligned in the way that it had been intended by the author. And I'll pass over to Purple. That's really good. And now Purple has the liar and the eye. Hi, my name is Ricky. The eye stared into the void. It didn't know why, but it knew its purpose was to watch the void, was to watch it and watch it and watch it for all of eternity. And so it did. It stared at the void, at the nothing, until one day a voice came. The voice whispered at the eye, why do you stare at the void? Don't you want to blink? Wouldn't it feel really good to close your eye? But the eye replied, no, my job is to stare at the void. And I will stare and stare and stare for all of eternity. But it would feel so good to close for just a second. The eye considered this. It hadn't even thought about closing. Was it even made to close? All it knew was just to stare, stare at the void. And so it didn't reply. The voice kept whispering, how do you even know that anything bad will happen? How do you even know what your job is? All you know what is would to even stare happen? straight ahead. If you blinked, if you blinked, maybe nothing would even happen. Maybe you could close your eye forever. The eye considered this, and the more that it thought about it, the, the more tired it grew. It started to become itchy. It never felt itchy before. It, it started to, to leak on either side as it considered the words of this voice. And suddenly, without even thinking about it, the eye closed for just a moment. And when it did, the universe exploded. <laughs> what a cliffhanger. That's great. All right, so Natalie, you have the mother and famine. Indeed. In the beginning, there was the mother. And the mother existed in a vast eternity, an infinity of nothingness. And after a long, long, long swath of infinity... She, of course, became quite hungry. But, of course, there was nothing to eat except for the nothingness and the void around her. So she took a little nibble, and she took a larger nibble, and it felt really good. So she kept 
eating and she ate 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 ate all of the nothingness around her until she was so full of the nothingness that she exploded. And from this explosion, she created all the minor mothers in our universe that shine brightly in the night sky. And in turn, each of these minor mothers becomes so, so voracious that to this day, they continue to eat and eat and eat until they explode and create all of the minor worlds. Great. All right, Cassandra, you have the moon and the fox. In the beginning, there was a blue and green planet spinning gently in the sky. In the beginning, on a small patch of land, there grew grass. In the beginning, on that grass there lay a creature, an animal, with a long bushy tail and a bright pair of eyes. In the beginning, the fox crouched upon the damp, damp earth, and he looked up at the sky. In the beginning, there was nothing but rain that fell. And the fox looked up, and all he could see was the raindrops dazzling and spinning as they fell. In the beginning, the fox did not know how long he waited for the rain to stop. But then it did. And in the beginning, the fox looked up in wonder as the rain stopped and the clouds parted. And there was the moon shining bright. This is why I don't like going last. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sean, you have uh, fire and the ocean. In the beginning, there were two sisters, the ocean and the fire. And the ocean lived on the surface while the fire lived down below. And things were peaceful for a time, the ocean spreading her waters across our entire world and fire churning on the inside, providing heat and and warmth. After a time, the fire grew jealous of the ocean. After all, the ocean, she felt, was trapping her deep underground. She longed to feel the world outside. And so she started to push against the ocean, sending tendrils of her arms up extending into the ocean, but the ocean fought back, turning those tendrils into stone. Fire found that as she pushed ever further, bit by bit the stone would grow closer and closer and closer to the surface, to the outside world. And so, for years, millennia, she pushed and prodded against her sister, the ocean, and her sister fought back, keeping her contained, until one day, the fire reached the surface, the rock breached the water, and fire exploded out into the air. Well, these are all really amazing beginnings to stories. Uh, I'm really impressed with all the imagery. Thank you, everyone. Kurt, um, in in the in-person game, if we were doing in-person scoring, would we have taken time to do the uh, here's something I liked about 
the story or is that only at the end? In the end, we are going to really start complimenting um, some of the our favorite moments that we heard during storytelling. And that's uh, that's what really uh, drives the, 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 the moment of the feel good moment. OK, I just wanted to brag on everyone's stories because I thought they were amazing. They were amazing. <laughs> and, and by the way, we we can we can do that at the end of every round of people just have, have something that one or two things that are like, oh, my God, I love that image or whatever. That's totally fine to do. I really liked Cassandra's use of repetition. I thought yeah. it was it just really pulled me in. Yeah. Really good storytelling elements. Yeah, I use that a lot in my work. It's 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 almost like a song, so that you you build the audience and you hook them in. And working with children whose English is a second language, it really helps them to connect with the story and come back in again. Yeah, and I I love the imagery of uh, this this book that had the destiny of, uh, of the world in it uh, and a sword just like cuts it up into bits. And now we have to kind of sort through it. I, I think it's great. That's actually an autobiography. Um... <laughs> well, Kurt, now that we've had a round of stories and listeners are hopefully starting to get a feel for the game, do you mind telling us how this game came about? Uh, yeah. So, um, the designers of this game, uh, Alex Cutler, um, Alex Cohen, and Matt Fantastic, um, they are uh, guys who've done a, a bunch of board games. Um, but uh, this was their first, uh, I think, real attempt at a, at a storytelling game. And what really attracted me to it was the fact that um, you got to really own your story. Um, in a lot of storytelling games, a, a lot of the point is that people will throw a wrench in your story and take it off in a, in a direction you didn't expect or necessarily want this one, you really get to guide your own story. And because of the feedback system, everyone kind of gets complimented for things that they create. So um, you walk away from the game with a very warm hearted feeling. And I, I just absolutely love that. And the idea of telling stories inspired by the stars. Yeah. This subgenre of, storytelling games is one that I love, but I don't think a lot of people are familiar with. That's true. Yeah. Um, they're few and far between though. Um, uh, a lot of people of course play uh, role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and other things where um, it's kind of a communal storytelling system um, where, you know, there's someone kind of running the story, but then you like an acting exercise, you react to the situation put in front of you. And this one, you're actually in control of the entire story. Okay, so that was chapter one. And now what's going to happen is we're going to go to chapter two. So I'm going to put out five new constellation cards. Uh, looks like we've got the spy. We have the forest. <laughs> we have the spider. The bear. And the bridge. Ooh. Okay, so chapter two, you're going to, um, again, you're going to draft two cards, two concepts from the constellation row into your story. And when you tell your story, you're going to also use one, or you could use both, of the concepts you already touched on. And this will help your story kind of pull together and, and uh, be cohesive. Um, this chapter is called The Dawn of Our Civilization, and this is how our people came to be. Imagine we're all on different worlds with different backgrounds, uh, different cultures. So this reflects our unique peoples. So at this point, Kyle, we're going to have you kick things off this time. I, you know, I, I, I rolled the die here and I realized that there are two and only two that I can choose from the die that are rolled. And I'm kind of tempted to, to hop over to the to, to, to this one, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take what destiny has given me. I'm gonna take the forest. Okay. There you and go. And the Well, oh. you only take one at this time. So. Oh we do. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, so I, well, I left the bear for somebody else then. <laughs> All, All right. right. So you've got the forest. Um now we've got the spy, the elephant. The spider, the bear, and the bridge. And that's over to Ricky. 
Uh, I'll take the spider. Because my original story is so broad, um, I'm actually going to take a little bit of a a shot in the dark here, and I'm going to just grab a random card from the top of the deck. Okay, great. And it is the rainbow. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to roll my dice, and I'm going to take the bridge. All right. This is Sean. It's my turn. Rolled the dice. And I am going to go with the anvil. I like that one for your story, too. Yeah. Feels right with the fire and and that stuff. Yeah. You know what? I'm I'm just I'm rolling the dice again. I'm going to roll top. Choose the top deck card and see what it is. The demon. (laughs) (laughs) Continuing with your apocalyptic theme of comets. (laughs) Indeed, yeah. (laughs) All right, Kyle. I'm actually going to just trust the fates here, and I'm not even rolling. Do it. I'm just going straight. The whale. So, Kyle, you now have the forest and the whale. To mesh with the book and the sword. Okay. Okay, so now it's back to Ricky. Uh, let's go with the spy. The spy. Ooh, I've rolled my dice. What have I got? So Cassandra got the horse. You got it. I... I'm gonna draw. Okay, I like I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna trust fate again. <laughs> What'd you get? The volcano. Oh, that is perfect. <laughs> Subtext text, I guess. Oh, uh, you you couldn't you couldn't have planned that any better. Um, I've rolled my dice, and I think I'm going to be pulling the bear into my story to pair mm. with the demon. Uh, Cassandra, before we get to this second round of stories and and wrap up this episode, why don't you tell us a little bit about the work you do with storytelling and science? I I work as a storyteller and I work uh, mostly in education. I I love working with uh, children and young people and um, and I adore using uh, storytelling as a tool for education. And I was, um, I was asked to work uh, on a project linking science and storytelling uh, for a star party with a rather lovely storytelling festival in England who settled stories. And I was desperately looking for stories. And my friend, Fran Stallings, who's a wonderful storyteller in America, she introduced me to work with Lynn Maroney. And her stories are fabulous. And Lynn was looking for someone to take over her work. And Lynn has a diagnosis of dementia, so she is losing her stories. And she was looking for someone, yeah, to take over her work. She has spent 40 years championing uh, the use of Skylar storytelling in, in science education. So Fran put us in touch, and I got a grant to go out and work with Lynn, which was fabulous. And I have carried on, and I did a project for, for NASA, stories about the solar eclipse and then i'm now working on a project called we share the same moon to celebrate or um to gather together 176 stories give or take a few to, to represent all the communities and cultures that live in my country which is the british isles so that's and it's a website a free website for schools to use around the world uh, which is fabulous. So we have stories and science resources for anybody to use. And so far we've got about 60 stories and about 20 different science activities. And it's been used by scientists and storytellers in America, UK, New Zealand, Ghana, North Macedonia, uh, Africa, and uh, a lot of different places. And so I'm still gathering stories about the moon and I'm telling them online and I've been running sessions with Lockdown Learning with the Royal Astronomical Society, which has been great. So, yeah, I, I do. I'm doing some stories, uh, science, science storytelling teaching for Malaysia with the Penang Science Centre in November. And, oh, I'm doing science stories as a tool for um, English language learning with uh, people living in uh, Gaza and Palestine. 
at the moment. So I, I, I love the idea of that we share the same moon and that we all, what we see of the moon is different, but we all live under the same moon. And the moon is such a, a wonderful way of bringing people together uh, and sharing stories, which, which I love. So it, it's, and it's, uh, I didn't, tell, the, the, the website was there so that people could use it. But now the whole project has moved online and it is wonderful to still keep sharing the moon, sharing the same moon with with uh, children and adults around the world. I didn't realize you were working with the Royal Astronomical Society. You know, there's a chapter that meets at, at our museum, the, the Museum of Flight. And we should connect you to that chapter. Sure. I mean, they they were one of those who have, um, we're, we're very grateful to the Royal Astronomical Society. They they have given some funding towards this project. And uh, they are fabulous. Uh, they, they've been going for how many hundreds of years? And they have this building in, 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 the, in the Piccadilly and it's, it's ancient. They have Galileo's drawings of the moon. And actually, those drawings, yes, they have re- reproduced. Um, yeah, they had the actual original drawings, and it was actually seeing those drawings that gave me the idea for this project. So that I, I, I'm delighted to be able to work with them online, and it was something we kept meaning to do, and I kept going here, there, and everywhere. And finally, once I was at home, it was it was a way we could connect to work together. So I've been telling the stories, and uh, the the lovely education outreach team who knows so much more about astronomy than I do. I've been doing the science, so it's been lovely. Yeah. Your enthusiasm is infectious. I'm smiling just hearing you talk about it. <laughs> Honestly, Sean, I'll send you the link. But if you could see the first session we did, I never thought, I mean, the rest of you may feel the same. I never thought how much we could bring people together over the net. I was very reluctant to work on Zoom. And the first session we did, we had 100 kindergarten. So 100 under five now you wouldn't think that you could get a hundred under five children under the age of five and their parents to join in with a story well let me tell you you can and it's still it's up there on learn and it still makes me laugh when i look at it it's just a hoot so yeah yeah we're we're very lucky that we can still connect people online and help combat the isolation of, of 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 lockdown especially for children Thank you. All right, Kurt, all yours. Kyle, when you are ready, you are going to kick off this round. Um, As a reminder, you'll be using the two cards you drafted, the forest and the whale, Mm -hmm. and then one or more of the cards from last round to touch on as well. Okay. And this this is how we got here. This is the dawn of our civilization. Okay. Well, as we recall, the book had been chopped up into innumerable pieces floating around. Now, some parts of the book may have been closer to others, and they, 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 they started to have a, an attraction to each other, glomming together in bits and chunks that slowly grew. In one far corner of the universe, these bits and chunks of the original story formed over time a a, a very large creature, almost uh, whale-like, you might say. It moves slowly with its big maw open, swallowing other parts of the original story into its belly as it swam. Now, the parts inside the belly also started to glom together. And in the darkest, deepest part of the whale's insides started to grow a deep, dark forest, taking bits of the story again. In the forest were I'm going to I'm going to end there. We're going to find out what happens in the forest later. Very good. All right, so now Ricky, you've got the spy and the spider that you've added to your story this round. Mm-hmm. And um to remind uh listeners, the liar and the eye were from last time. Uh, so little Ina went out gathering food. 
our civilization were scavengers back then. We gathered what we could gather, and we did not have much thought beyond our next meal. And so little Lena, they went out gathering whatever whatever they could find, berries here, a bit of grass that tasted all right there. And as they were walking, they walked through a spider web. Ugh, they thought as, as they picked little strands of sticky web off of their skin. Ugh, I really, really hate spider webs. They kept walking, gathered some grass, went back to their village, and then the next day they came back. The spider web was back. So Ina stared and stared at the spider web and ran their finger through it, just knocking the whole thing down, gathering all the strands onto their finger and watched as the strands wrapped around. Ugh. Took those strands off her finger and went off and gathered some more food and came back. And then the next day, the spider web was back. What the heck, thought Ina. And so they, they, they took a little spot under a rock and watched. And out came the spider and started putting the strands back and back together. Ina just watched as the spider made this amazing pattern out of these tiny little icky pieces of silk. And so she watched and watched until she finally got fed up and ran her hand right through the spider web one more time and ran off to gather some food. They came back the next day and the spider was sitting on a blade of grass. Ina, please don't knock down my web today. Ina was a taken back. They'd never heard a spider talk. Uh, but it's, it's just icky and it's in my way. Watch, said the spider. Ina thought about this. They'd never had time to watch anything before. It's always been gather, eat, sleep, gather, eat, sleep. And so they, they sat down on the ground and they watched the spider. They watched the spider's many, many eyes as it looked around and saw the world. They watched the spider finally take flight, suspended by a silken thread as it wove together different blades of grass. They watched, and as they watched, they Ina saw shapes emerge. And not only shapes, but patterns and numbers. Arithmetic started forming in their mind, as well as science and experiments in all kinds of ways that Ina could use what the spider was doing to better their people. Great. All right, so now, Natalie, you ended up now with the rainbow and the river. I did. And last time you had uh, Famine and the Mother. Correct. <laughs> This story begins with one of the minor mothers, that is to say, one of the stars in the sky. And her name was Re. And Re was very curious. Re saw what all of her sisters were doing, spending centuries eating and eating and eating only to explode. And because Re was very curious, she wondered why. And not only did she wonder why, she wondered what else there was to be found in this vast universe. She wanted something more. And she looked out upon all of the worlds that were hers to eat. And because she was very curious, she wondered what they were all like. And of course, because she was very curious, she decided to visit one. And so Re chose one of the rocky worlds that was hers to eat, and she split her soul in two <clears throat> and left one half behind as her brother, Ray. So Re was free to turn herself into the rainbow. And as the rainbow, Re flew across the great expanse of sky to the rocky world. But Re did not know at the time what we all know now, which is that rainbows cease to exist once they touch the ground. And when she did touch down on the surface of the world, she became the very first river. 
Now, this was fine by Rhee. This was uh, an unexpected turn of events, but she was very curious and she wondered why this happened. Why would this occur? And she was happy to explore the surface of the world as a river. But every day, Ray would ask, Rhee, are you ready to come home now? And she said, no, I have another thing to explore. And this went on for a very long time. And in time, Rhee traversed the whole surface of this whole world. And Ray asked, Rhee, are you finally ready to come home? And she said, no, Ray, I think I am perfectly happy here, for I have you in my life above me, but I am a little bit lonely here. And this is a very beautiful, wonderful place. So I think I'm going to do, you know, my, my star cycle, my eating an explosion thing down here. And so Re ate just a little bit of the world and out of her exploded the first life. And our civilization today. All right. So now, Cassandra, you had the bridge and the horse following up on the moon and the fox. In the beginning, the fox looked up at the moon and the moon's light dazzled his eyes and the light spread and he looked in the light. He did not yet know who or what he was or where he was. But as he looked, he saw that on this strange, strange earth, he had companions. For there, in amongst the grass, he saw the nibbling of a rabbit. He saw the bumbling of a badger. And fox, by the light of the moon, he looked around him and he saw rabbit and badger and there was a leaf and a flash and there was deer. And fox looked in wonder as the world began to be peopled by all the animals of this land. And he looked around him and slowly he got to his feet and his with his feet padding in the soft damp grass he walked and he walked and as he walked he looked and he saw all the animals of the grasslands and then he came to a forest where the light of the moon did not go and out of the forest came a shadow. And the light of the moon struck the shadow. And the shadow gleamed silver. And Fox saw for the very first time horse. And horse and fox looked at one another. And then up at the moon. Great. So now, Sean. Sean, you had started with the fire and the ocean, and now you're adding the anvil and the volcano. In those days, people had been floating over the ocean for generations, living off the ocean, the bounty that the ocean provided, the fish, the other sea life. One day, while we were floating, we saw fire erupting from the ocean. And some were curious and decided to venture closer. Others warned that we should stay with the ocean. After all, that's how it always had been. But some still made their way towards this eruption of fire. They called it a volcano. And when they stepped foot on the ground, it was the first time they had stepped foot on solid ground. And as they explored this 
new island, this volcano that erupted from the ocean. They found things they'd never seen before. Different stones and different metals and trees and animals. As the volcano grew and, and grew and grew, many were still wary. After all, they'd been served dutifully by the ocean for years. And now serving her sister seemed like a betrayal. But those who wanted to explore took up some of the stones and the metals and learned ways to make tools with them using the heat of the fire and the anvil. But something was always lacking in the tools that they made. They, they couldn't get it quite right. That's because the people of the ocean said they were serving the wrong sister. And the people who were serving the fire told the people of the ocean that they were serving the wrong sister. One day, one of the children who worked with the anvil happened to drop one of these tools just as it came off the anvil into the ocean and found that the tool came out harder and more sturdy than, than ever before. What hadn't felt right before now seemed to work. So the people who served the ocean and the people who served the fire realized that they were both necessary, both the fire and the water, for them to build a life together. And things were good for a while. <laughs> a while. Da, da, da. <laughs> so, um, I had just drawn the bear and the demon, and that was in addition to the hurricane and the comet. So after the comet hung over our world and pierced the sky with the rays of our newly formed sun, the waters receded in many places. Some creatures remained in the waters, but our people, like so many other creatures, rose from the land. But the sun had claws. And there were other hardships that the demons brought upon us. Um, things that made life difficult and sometimes not even survivable. Some of the creatures developed ways to cope. Um, the turtle developed a shell. The wolves developed pelts. But we did not develop natural defenses. And the sun clawed at our skin. The elements wore at us and made it hard to survive. Until Brother Bear came to our people and he imparted knowledge to us. He invited us into his den and showed us how we could shelter ourselves from the elements. And with that wisdom, we were able to create villages and homes and the same kind of buildings that we have now to protect ourselves from the sun and the other nefarious elements of our world. And that's it. <laughs> nice. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. As I said at the top, this was a very, very different type of episode for us, and I hope you enjoyed this little storytelling adventure. If you would like to pick up the game Before There Were Stars, we have it for sale in the Museum of Flight's online store. You can support the Museum of Flight and get a fantastic experience for your family at home by buying it, maybe as a gift during this holiday season. I'll put a link to the item in our store in this episode's show notes. 
Next episode will be the second half of the stories and a little bit more commentary, and then we're back to our more traditional programming. So if this episode style wasn't your cup of tea, that's okay. This is very different. If you didn't enjoy it, don't worry. We'll be back to our traditional programming uh, pretty soon after the next episode. I am curious, though, if people would be interested in a bonus episode where each storyteller's stories are spliced together so that you can hear, for example, Cassandra's story from start to finish without all that in-between stuff and just hear it as a story. Let me know. Send me an email at podcast at museumoflight.org. I've put links to the projects of our various storytellers in the show notes if you'd like to go follow any of these wonderful folks and check out what they're doing. And of course, at the Museum of Flight, we continue to offer engaging STEM and history-based education opportunities, which you can also find links to in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. You should also subscribe to the show to stay up to date on our latest episodes and share it if you enjoyed what you heard. You can contact the show at podcast at museumofflight.org. Until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks.